Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. And I would like to take a moment to thank two Cato Gold sponsors for supporting the work that Cato does throughout California. Thank you to NAG Industries and Aardvark Tactical. NAG Industries is a premier provider for a variety of government sales products like Vortex Optics, Garmin, Streamlight, and many other brands. From breaching tools and training to the latest in pickleball gear, there's a good chance NAG Industry carries it. Check them out at nagindustries.com. I would also like to thank Aardvark Tactical, who's been a steadfast supporter for many years. While Aardvark is famous for their signature Project 7 scalable plate carrier system, Sejin Robot, Low-Key Drone, and Kinetic Breaching Tool, they also offer customized integrated solutions to meet a wide variety of supply needs, such as complete crowd control kits, IED detection, less lethal, and many others. To learn more, check out aardvarktactical.com. Work-life balance is something we all struggle with in our line of work, and especially with the people who listen to this podcast. For those of you who enjoy getting away by spending some time on the lake, casting a line, our podcast sponsor is for you. Cope's Tackle and Rod Shop has been in business since 2015 and carries all of your fishing needs. They are veteran-owned and are proud supporters of Cato and our listeners of the Cato Podcast. Check out their website at tackleandrod.com, enter discount code Cato at checkout, and get 10% off your purchase and get free shipping on anything over $75. Cato is a nonprofit organization that exists to serve law enforcement so they can train their departments and make their communities safer. One of the ways we do this is through support from businesses like Cope's Tackle and Rod. So consider supporting businesses that support us. All right, so welcome to the Cato Podcast. I've asked a police officer from Northern California who uh, has been on his collateral H&T, C&T team, whichever way you want to call it. We're going to call it H&T for the purposes for 10 years or more. And we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges of collateral H&T teams and some of the things that I think we're not doing good. <clears throat> but before we do, we talk a little bit about whiskey. So uh, Nolan is a whiskey aficionado, and I have brought a couple of whiskeys from Tennessee for him to taste. So I'm going to get his input on that. But before we do, just give me a quick thought on peanut butter whiskey. Peanut butter whiskey is um, peanut butter whiskey has its place, um, as you and I have talked about many times. I've uh, I first tasted it in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, just because I felt like I had to, being a whiskey aficionado, as you say. Um, and it is. Were you pressured? Were you pressured by younger people? I was not. I was not. I was actually there with an elderly gentleman. Oh. Um, who works for our department. Um, and, uh, he and I both decided we were just going to try it for the hell of it. We were in the middle of, you know, we're in Raleigh. We didn't have anything else to do. Um, although there's plenty of fine things to do in Raleigh, we were just stuck at a conference. So we tasted it and I was surprisingly upset at how much I didn't hate it. That's fair. I was like, I want this to be the worst thing ever, and it's not. Um, and since, while I will not drink it neat or straight or anything like that, if I mix it with, say, a chocolate liqueur, you get that Reese's peanut butter cup vibe. Or, uh, you know, if 
maybe with some Chambord, a nice raspberry liqueur. It makes a nice kind of a peanut butter and jelly feel to it. Again, not my everyday thing, but, you know. Like the astronauts, what the astronauts eat. (laughs) 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 All right. So, so, uh, you know, enough enough peanut butter whiskey talk. It's like the astronaut, uh, what is it? The mimosa from astronauts. It's tang and beer. Yeah, right. Tang and beer. So like the astronauts peanut butter jelly drink if they only went to junior college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and hated themselves. Right. And hated themselves for it. Yeah. Yeah. And wanted to cancel everybody. There's nothing wrong with going to junior college. I'm a big proponent. No, I did it myself. However, I also don't want to cancel everybody. Right. (laughs) So we tried a little Chattanooga whiskey. I did. Thoughts on that? Uh, I like it quite a bit. Um, Neat. I tried it neat at 111 proof, and uh, it had some good flavor to it. I, on the other hand, added a little water, and it really kind of brought out some young notes. Made me look at the label. Um, it's only a couple years old in the barrel, so um, I'm a big fan of, of whiskey getting a little more time. Six to eight years is usually pretty nice. Twelve is my fave. And uh, I'd, I'd drink it all day neat. I, no problem. Um yeah, and then we tried the we tried the happenstance. Yeah, this is I actually got a little still left in my glass. It's pretty nice, um, smoother. Uh, yeah, oh, easily. I mean, at ninety, it's only you know they've added some water, but um, it's got good flavor. Um, I don't mind it. I've only had a couple of sips of it, um, but I'd drink it again. Yeah, good price point too. And yeah. then uh, you were kind enough to bring me a little eighteen-year Elijah Craig which is delicious and well, well worth the price point. Yeah. It was only 150 bucks where I found it, which was a lucky draw, you know, look yeah. at the draw there, but very good. Yeah. And lastly, we sampled a little Jack Daniels triple match, which what's the average price for that one? Oh, I think that one's coming in maybe 30 or under. Yeah. Maybe under 40 for sure. Not too, not too and crazy. If you're a Jack Daniels fan, it's uh, not quite as sweet. Uh, a little bit more complex flavored, yeah. and uh, I I like that. I have a good friend that uh, is a huge Jack Daniels. Uh, I want to say probably one of their best customers would be the I best mean, way to say seems that. Fair. Yeah, it seems fair. <clears throat> they should probably yeah. pay for at least one of his kids' college tuitions. But um, I, I don't care for Jack quite as much. But this is really smooth. Yeah, it's a nice. It's yeah. a nice flavor. So, As somebody who generally does not like Jack Daniels products, which I, I admit, although I try and taste them with an open mind, it's just hasn't been for me. But this one has been quite nice. Uh, I also tasted the uh, the single barrel barrel proof, so a lot hotter version, and actually was quite nice as well. So as someone who has grown up not being a big Jack Daniels fan, I will give credit where credit is due. They've made some decent products. Nice. So that's our whiskey talk just to get even with Brent. So uh, there you have it. Let's talk a little bit about H&T. So okay. how long have you been a police officer? I have been a police officer for 15 years. So 15 years, mm-hmm. at least 10 of those years, you were on your collateral H&T team. Yeah, 2013, I got, I became an H&T member. Serving a city, uh, a little under 200,000 people. Correct. About 160 coppers. Roughly. Averaging, yeah. depends on which year. Yeah, up and down days, but for sure. Averaging a variety of uh, call-outs, 
but generally, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, those were all, uh, search warrant call outs mm-hmm. and then a few emergency call outs, probably right. less than 10 emergency call outs a year. Mm-hmm. And then now probably less warrant work. But one of the things I like about your collateral team is that it's pretty well accepted that if you're working and there's any kind of patrol event that could utilize the skills of someone who's an H&T collateral person that they just respond out there. Right. And, and get on the radio and say that so that supervisors know, Hey, we have a negotiator that might be able to help, you know, have a little bit more training and skills than the average patrol folks. So you and I've talked about this off and on over the years as we run into each other about what we're doing, right? What we're doing wrong. One of my pet peeves is I feel like as a whole, our profession poorly trains leadership on how we integrate H and T in as part of the tools that tactical teams use. And what I mean by that is we're either SWAT heavy or tactical heavy or we're negotiator heavy, but there's very few courses I've been exposed to where we teach commanders how to integrate both those tools that's not an either or or an adversarial role. And so you have a lot of thoughts on that because you've you've been on both sides of that coin with a variety of commanders over the years. So what are your what are your thoughts on that? What are some things you've seen uh, in your experience at work and and maybe give some examples of like how they either side completely discounted they it was more either or versus a integrated tool i mean in 10 years i i must have had a dozen assigned tactical commanders um and um to just to to hit on that point a little bit i gotta be honest i don't think that that is best practices for the industry that we're in um i like somebody who I like consistency, as do, uh, in my opinion, a lot of cops that I work with. Um, And if you continually, and mind you, I said 12 over 10 years, when you don't leave someone in a position well enough or long enough to get proficient, then we're never led by someone who's proficient. We're just led by someone who's learning. And the default for those people is to defer to those who have done the position. So for example, I've been on a H&T team for 10 years. Um, my best friend has been on the SWAT team for probably nine years. Um, he and I are both subject matter experts in what we do, I would say. Um, and our tactical commanders will defer to our expertise when they are the ones who are supposed to be leading. And it's not that I don't, I don't appreciate it. I do appreciate it. I appreciate it when I get recognized for what I've done and what I've worked for. But wh- what I need is somebody who knows the direction that we're all headed and then sets that direction before me so that I can get my job done. I think SWAT feels the same way. And so when you have that level of a person who just does, isn't a subject matter expert running the show, it tends to muddy the water when you come to mission plan and execution, right? Because now you've come to a point where the person who's supposed to be telling me what to do, or at least giving me guidance on what they want done 
doesn't actually know what they want done. Yeah. And that's the difference between reacting to the suspect and responding, right? Like we're, we need to have clear end state. We need to know what success looks like. We exactly. need to define everybody's roles. And when you're constantly teaching a new leader leading up, you're not really doing that anymore. And that person is behind the eight ball. They, they don't know. Right. And it's not necessarily their fault. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't blame them for this situation. I blame the fact that we swap that position out versus leave someone there for a long period of time who knows what they're doing. So then that leads us to a little bit of specialty bias. So what you have is if you're a, you know, if you, uh, a hammer, then every problem is a nail. So if you're a SWAT guy, then your natural bias is to solve those problems tactically. If you're an H and T guy, then you're, you're naturally going to want to solve that problem with the H and T tool. And it ends up becoming either or, or adversarial. And if you have a commander that's trying to manage those two strong personalities that doesn't understand either one, it's a flip of the coin versus what I would argue should be integration because the end state, the goal of the mission is the same for both. They're just different tools to get us there. They're both overall arching goal is to resolve the incident with the least amount of force possible safely for the community. Correct. Without question. And they're both just tools to do that. So when we talk about integration, you've had commanders that were previous SWAT um, heavy because they they had all their experience on SWAT. You've had a couple commanders that were only experienced with Mm -hmm. H&T. H&T, I think, is easy to dismiss because it appears on the surface to need less training because it has less equipment and is less flashy. For sure. I would not say it needs less training. It just is less, can, can be less needy if you're not paying attention. Right. And so it's easy for whatever time, especially if you're a collateral commander, which is over 90% of the state of California, to not spend a lot of time with those folks. That is true. I have, that seems to be. So uh, talk a little bit about um, friction points. So I'm a big fan, the older I get, of looking at really high-performing teams and what they're good at is the basics and what they're good at is reducing self-induced friction points. Because if you look at what stresses you out in this profession, it's not bad guys. Bad guys don't stress you out because we expect that. We train for We know how to deal with them. We deal with them all all the time. What stresses us out is each other. What stresses us out is the politics – the not getting things done, the bureaucracy, the competing interest. And it's the same in a tactical event or critical incident. So you can have uh, these specialty bias and these friction points. And so how do we reduce those friction points? Because when you watch high-performing, say, tactical teams, they're really boring to watch. It's not that they're linear because tactical events are not linear – but they're very much by the numbers because there's very there's a lot of discipline, there's a lot of control, and there's very little chaos and friction that is self-induced. 
so that when the suspect induces it, it's expected <clears throat> because they do good at the basics. So how does that work in the H&T world? I mean, as far as friction goes uh, between the teams, that kind of thing, is that kind of where we're or going Or just with this? friction with moving people, communication. So a great sure. example would be in the command post. Okay. Right. You go to emergency call out, SWAT's deployed, snipers are deployed, they're setting up the perimeter, the commander's there, everybody's rolling in, people are typing search warrants, say it's a barricade, right. homicide okay. suspect. I get there's a whole bunch of moving parts that add to the momentum and chaos of the event. Right. And that's self-induced friction. The suspect's not inducing any of that right, friction. Right, we're doing that to ourselves. The suspect's yeah. just sitting in the house. We're just trying to get ready. Right. I get what you're saying. So, so okay. So you've experienced a variety of models, attempts yeah. at reducing that friction. Yeah. And so, your particular team, if I remember correctly, does handle a lot of the intel function as well. Right. Does not handle uh, tactical dispatch but they're, they're part of who you right. train with. Right. And you also have some civilians that do a lot of the logging. The support team. The yeah. support team. Tactical support. So, okay. So I, I see what you're saying here. So the key that I found on our most successful operations is when everybody has a clear goal and whether that comes from me as a team leader or from a sergeant as, you know, the one who oversees me, um, when you have a clear, concise goal during those moving parts, right? You as an individual, that's the stuff that's going to make the friction go away, right? So I say to a member, I need you to set up the uh, negotiation electronics, right? For us to make a call. All right. Well, I have to know that that person is proficient in that and then trust that they're going to do it and not hover over them because I've got seven other things that I need to do. Right now I need to assign people to Intel, right? So now I take three people and I go, this is your job. Your job is to do Intel and I'll make one of those three people the lead, right? So then these people have a lane, right? So it really almost defers back to like almost an ICS thing, right? Which, you know, traditionally police departments haven't been great about, but we really integrated it at our department. So now we try and put it into everything we do. So now when I'm, you know, a chief of something, then I'm giving people direction and I expect that that direction will be finished and I don't worry about them doing it. That's it. I've told you what I need. This is what you do. Because you address that pre-event in, in, in training. So that's why if you go to any one of my people that, that works with me, they're all going to know how to set up what we call the scent or the, you know, the electronics. If I go to any one of my people and say, I need intel on this guy, they I don't even have to tell them where to go get it. Just go, right? Because we've done it and repetition done it. Um, but if you don't do that stuff in repetition, you don't think about, you know, the little things that we do that people don't think about calling CPS to get information about someone, looking at calls for service at the house, right? Every It, it almost defers back to, they look at their social media posts to see if they love their dog. So we have a trigger, right? But the real reality is, is that I want to see how many calls for service have been at that house. I want to know why, right? Because at the end of the day, that's going to help me both negotiate, but then that information is going to help my SWAT guys be safer, right? I mean, at the end, of, we all get judged on what we know up to the point of a shooting, 
right? And when you use a, a high, a highly skilled team like SWAT, their job could very well call for them to shoot someone. We're not, we don't call SWAT in for easy people. We call SWAT in for hot, you know, hostile, aggressive people that that are not happy to be here today. And so the likelihood of them getting in a shooting is going to be higher, even with their excessive skill set. And that's great. I mean, their skill set keeps us out of a ton of shootings. I know that, but they still are in a situation that they don't always control. So the more intel I can get them, the better off they're going to be at the end of the day. So if I tell them this guy has multiple weapons charges and he's been found with ghost guns or he's been found with, you know, unregistered assault weapons, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to be going in expecting so that they don't get caught off guard. Because at the end of the day, I lose one of those SWAT guys, it's going to kill me. Like that would, that would be one of the things that wrecks me. So if there was a chance that I could have got them that info and I didn't, that's the part that's going to eat me until I'm, until I call it. So some, some more than others. Just saying. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, all life is valuable. Agreed. But some life is more valuable than others. <laughs> there's right. It's there's levels of, of degrees. There's degrees <laughs> for sure. But at the end of the day, even yeah. even at the lowest level, I it would eat at me. So and, and and that's not something that I that I could I could easily weather. I guess. Yeah. 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 So you tried something <clears throat> that. Um, so traditional model, traditional model since the 90s and is still happening today in 2023 is that SWAT teams and H&T teams train a couple times a year. And one training is SWAT heavy. So they do a scenario where the, the focus or the main effort, the main effort is handled by the SWAT team. And then the next training, the main effort is handled by H&T where it's more negotiator heavy and and you get to check all the boxes in your training deal and SWAT delivers the food and does all these things. Right. And that's okay. But I don't think it reduces friction. I also don't think that it allows you, the subject matter experts, to train your leaders on the most efficient way to use your team. So think about it like like flying a plane. The most dangerous parts are taken off and landing. Same right. with tactical events. As they unfold, there's less information, less time. Lot, I'm sorry, there's lots of information. There's not a lot of intel. And so that's causing friction and chaos. You're setting up, things are moving and dynamic. It's a, as one of our friends likes to say, a dynamic, evolving, rapidly evolving Rapidly event. evolving, for sure. I know I said that with too much emotion, but I also know that you listen. So, uh, and then at the end, right? And we've seen tragedies in the last decade where we poorly coordinated a surrender of a suspect that surprised the officers as they came out and, and suspects were shot. Yeah. And maybe, maybe unnecessarily because those efforts were not coordinated efficiently enough or there was communication breakdown enough sure. that we, we used force that might have been either not necessary or we could have used less force. Right. Or it could have just been avoided in, in, in a different circumstance. Yeah, for sure. So what are some things you've seen successful from someone from the H&T side of the house? 
that have helped uh, reduce those those friction points? Well, the beginning for us, uh, for me, is it's it it starts at communication between the teams, right? So you have to be on a level playing field for communication, right? So as as someone who studies human nature and 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 tries to get into people's heads, um, I will defer to SWAT's expertise for the on-scene kind of visuals that they have, right? So if I if I'm getting ready to start negotiating, the first thing I'm going to do is reach out to either one of my friends that's a SWAT team leader or a SWAT sergeant and say, okay, you 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 guys have made a visual inspection of this house, right? I haven't. I'm, I'm off scene, right? I'm at a command post. Where do you want this person to come out? Right. That's my starting point with SWAT. And it's not, and, and it's just so that they know that I'm buying into, I want to make this as safe as possible for them. And I, and so I will defer to them to say, listen, I need to know what you want. And when you tell me what you want, I'm going to give it to you. So, um, so yeah. So in the beginning, that's where I start with SWAT so that I know that those guys are on the same page as me and they know that I'm doing everything I can to make them as safe as possible. Um, and then moving forward, you know, you get that friction of, of, like you said, you get a lot of information early on, but it isn't always good. And that, and, you know, knowing the difference between information and intelligence, which is basically at the end of the day, corroboration, right? You get some intelligence or you get some information, you got to vet it. And once you vet it, it's now Intel, right? And, and assign value. Yeah, so you're absolutely. Gonna, and you're going to say this is good information and place it on the chart for I value it. This is something right, this you is, need to know this second, push it out, yeah. or this is something that's good to know. And I can use it later. I can use it later. Absolutely. And so that, so that in and of itself, you get a good person who really knows how to corroborate information. That is super invaluable. Um, and then at the end, you know, obviously in the middle, SWAT is making moves and doing things to get a tactical advantage, which they should be doing. Um, ideally communicating that back to the command post and getting that information to the negotiator is key because if something's going on and, and the negotiator doesn't know about it, it kills rapport, right? So it's going to kill my ability to have influence over that target. Um, so as long as I know what they're doing, then I can mitigate any kind of complaint from, from the target or the suspect. Um, in turn, at the very end, it has to be crystal clear that the suspect needs to come out exactly how I tell him. I make him repeat it back to me. This is how we're coming out of this house, right? You've agreed now to my terms. This is what we have to do. And if they do that nine times out, I mean, I've never had one lost. And they've always done exactly what I've told them because I, I'm telling them that's how you live through this, right? Um, so making sure that they recognize the importance of it is key, right? Make sure that suspect knows. In turn, SWAT needs to know exactly what I'm telling them so that they know what he's going to do. And if he does something different than that, we, we were following the plan, right? We have to cover ourselves first. 
Um, where that will often get screwed up is when your suspect goes off script, right? When your suspect fails, they're, they're, you know, you say, okay, come out. And they just run out. <laughs> You're like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. And no one, no one knew. They were then like, a, okay, I'm in. And it's a jack in the box. And you're like, oh, just God. see what we get. And we freak out, right? So, and 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 why wouldn't we, right? It's, yeah. it's human nature, and and they sh- and you should freak out, right? Because that's a dangerous situation. So that stuff always is very scary to me. So when I'm leading up to that, I start building it early, right? So it's okay. I think this guy's going to start wanting to come out. All right, I'm going to start putting ideas in his head, like that he shouldn't run out or he shouldn't, you know, like just little ones, right? Nothing big. And then when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, you got to listen to me right now because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the, the scariest part. So that's how I do that. Now, pushing back to the other side, historically, and, and I'm not saying all teams are like this, but my experience is that police officers are trained to give commands to people. That is what we do. It's what it's what we do. And when you're rolling as a solo officer to a call and somebody comes bombing out of a house with a knife in their hand, you start yelling commands, right? Well, to get a cop to fight against that in their brain is very, very difficult. So in the past, I've seen where a guy comes out and one SWAT officer says, put your hands up. And another SWAT officer says, put your hands on your head. And another officer says, get, your, get down on your knees. And another officer says, don't move. So one thing that I've integrated at our department, and I've, I've just preached it over and over again to our SWAT guys, is you have to designate a talker. You have got to designate. And everyone else needs to know their role and shut up. You're a handcuffer. You're lethal cover. You're less lethal cover. Right? Everyone needs to have their role. And if they don't, then chaos ensues. So where we can screw it up is when you start yelling five different messages at the same person and they don't know what to do. And then they do the wrong thing and one person perceives it as a threat. And as we all know, once one gun goes off, a lot of guns go off. Because my buddy saw a threat and I trust him. Now I, I believe there's a threat as well. And, that, and, and while most, a lot of people have discipline, there's the brain does a lot of crazy stuff and it's and, not always your fault. And we hope that doesn't happen, but obviously but it, not, but it's naive to think, but that it that's has, not a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. It has happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not saying that we, we haven't trained the hell out of it, which we have. And I think the chances of it happening today versus it happening five years ago are vastly different. And that SWAT is way more controlled than, than they used to be. And 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 that's a good thing, right? That's a, that's just professionalism at its finest, in my opinion. So we've talked a little bit about specialty bias. We've talked about training, challenges of having a new uh, commander. Let's talk a little bit more about training and some of the, I don't really want to say they're non-traditional, but they're not often utilized. Ways that we can train at the, unit level to better integrate and reduce those friction points. So a couple key things. You talked about defining the goal, right? What's the end state? What's success look like? You talked about defining roles ahead of time and then really defining the lines of communication. 
So there's a variety of technology out there, and it depends on where you work and how you work. But a lot of times uh, negotiations now are streamed live and on an app where everybody responding to the call can listen. And the old school way was the squawk box. Right in the command post or outside, you could hear the negotiator. And if you're the commander, you could listen in on what that was. Now, if you have enough people, which is the majority, does not apply to the majority of law enforcement agencies in the state of California. If you have a robust team, then your commander is watching the mission leader and his liaisons for CNT or H&T and SWAT. And he might be able to actually listen to this negotiation. But generally speaking, my experience is there's a lot of other stuff going on. He's not going to be able to hear everything that he needs to hear. So he's listening in occasionally to hear the tone. He wants the tone of the suspect. He wants the tone of the, the negotiator. And I, and I would say that's okay. But I also think, uh, from being a commander that that's false hope. So I'm using a crutch of technology to make myself feel better, but I don't have the adequate training experience or time with this person listening to them go up and down the cycle to actually say, yeah, I feel comfortable or not comfortable. So it would be better for me to be more involved with training and trust my people who say, I've got this or I don't have this. Now, that being said, I've met very few negotiators that think they don't have it and and don't want to make that call because that's not how they're made. That's why they're good at what they do. So we, correct, we have to train that. Um, But what are some of the things that you have seen that have worked for your collateral team and training to reduce those friction points? So we we covered the, the lanes. Practical application takeaway what are some of the things that people can do um, so that they can learn more about how those two should work together? Now, and I'll lead with one just to kind of, cause I, it's okay. a vague question. A great example is I had very little experience with H and T and I don't think we were really doing it very right as I was coming up through the ranks and I'd never even attended an H and T training day. I didn't know what, traps or triggers even were yeah and i didn't appreciate the science um behind what a negotiator is trying to accomplish so uh my my uh joke was one of my mentors was a longtime h&t guy and he we would always joke that he had a index card that he would pull out and it would say please come out please come out please come out Oh my God, I'm exhausted. I need an, I need a latte. Please come out. <laughs> and obviously it's more than that. So having your team leaders from SWAT attend H&T training or vice versa. A lot of H&T people don't understand the terminology that's happening on the radio. They're not really listening to the radio very often, but they're watching this, what appears on the surface to be chaos and people running around and seeing how much equipment they can carry and load onto their human, their bodies, right? Not understanding what it's about, yeah. and so just taking the time to attend training as a team leader for SWAT, say, and say, "Hey, look, here's what containment is. Here's what long rifle is. Here's what React is. Here's the parts of React. Before we do anything, these all have to be set up. <clears throat> here's what a 
emergency gas is used for. Here's what, you know, this and that, and, and kind of those things. And any other things come to mind that help that integration at a lower level? Yeah, yeah actually, um, it's something that I've, I've done. Um, I reach out to SWAT members often um, because I, I like to ask. I'm, I'm very curious about why. In, in most situations, right? Not just, not just this, but in, in most situations, I want to know the why versus the what. And so I will go and luckily I have friends on the SWAT team, right? And, and they're people that I get along with. And I, so I will ask them why they do certain things, why they don't do certain things. What, like I try and learn as much about the SWAT tactical mentality um, is and what the training is so that I can understand from my perspective, right? So like I, I find like I, I, I learn things better when I put myself in someone else's shoes, right? And how they view the world. Um, and so for me, that is, that's the best way so that I can, I can reach out to these guys. Again, conversations are, are what the, this is what's going to move all of this into the, the, this century, right? It's going to be talking about what you do on either side, right? Um, and they don't, you know, they don't necessarily um, know what I do or, or the science of what I do because that's not where their mindset is. And everybody's brain is different and works in a different way. And some people are good at English and some are good at math and some are great at science and not at the others. And you know what I mean? And so, you know, so, you know, maybe for me, it's, it's really more about talking being curious about what your counterpart is doing. And if they ask me, then I can explain to them that, okay, I'm, I'm listening to, and, and this comes back to a tactical commander, right? They're listening to a guy who is going through the roof, amped up talking to me and I'm staying nice and low. Right. And I'm not matching his energy and they think, Oh God, we've lost him. And I'm like, no, we haven't lost them. This is the 13th time I've done this with this guy. I do this. You just happen to listen yeah, to this we're cycle. We're not losing anything. What we're doing is letting him go. Let him talk. Let him vent it out. Because the more that people get tired, the more their rationale comes down. Like as far as exhaustion level goes, they're like, okay, so I'm just tired now. Well, now I have an opportunity for influence, right? Now I've got that chance. And you can't base it on some guy going, oh, my God, I'm going to do the." Let me talk through it. We're going to get through it. And you ha we always have to remember that this person's, you know, drugs or no drugs, or they're, they've been hijacked, right? Their reptile brain has taken over. Yeah. And uh, Sid has a great quote that I thought was pretty insightful that I'd never thought about. And that was, uh, he goes, SWAT often gets called to, you know, events bad guys that that exceed the normal training and equipment that an average patrol deputy or officer needs to handle. Right. Then we get there and we're dealing with someone who often is a career criminal mm -hmm. or at minimum is in crisis mentally and emotionally. And then we expect them to act rationally. Right. It's, and, a, it's weird. And, and, you know, what he's really talking about is you you have to – know the science behind de-escalating not mm -hmm. just verbally and emotionally but 
but with terrain and time and all those other things. And those are all codified in the law now. So, right. so uh, clearly got a, we weren't doing it great. I've got a great example of that. So I, I recently debriefed a video of, um, of a police department that they get called out for a check the welfare middle of the night, 911 hang up, you know, the same old stuff that we've all gone to. And when they get there, they talk to the woman and she is visibly upset. She says, I don't know that you guys should really talk to him. I don't want him to hurt our baby. So this is obviously a baby daddy and or husband, something along those lines. She says, he's not supposed to be here. I don't want him to hurt my baby. And again, the cop's like, okay, we'll just go talk to him. She's like, okay, but he's going to get really mad that you're here. I don't want him to hurt my baby. So when I heard that, and I'm like, okay. So my brain immediately goes, this guy doesn't value the baby. And the reason I know that is because if somebody's going to, she believed 100% in her heart that that guy was going to hurt the baby. So as soon as they made contact with the guy, he was holding the baby as a hostage and a meat shield. And every cop that started talking, there was only a couple that ended up talking to him, but they were all hyper-focused. Just let the baby go. Just let the baby go. All we care about, just let your son out. Everything will be fine. And what they failed to realize was that he did not care about his son and his welfare, but they would have. So they put themselves and their own, their own morals and beliefs into that situation. And they were like, I'm a dad. And all I want is the baby to be safe because that's what I would want for my child. Well, this guy's not you. Yeah, that's the He's difference. different. Yeah, that's the difference between a hostage and a captive, right? Yeah. There's no negotiating with someone who doesn't value the life they're holding. Right. And I can't, well, you can, but you have to but change not, the value, right? Yeah. right? So yeah. to me, I immediately would have been like, hey, is the baby still alive? He'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, all right, how are you doing today? What's going on with you? Now you're my father, the, the suspect, which is not, it's against everything I know as a cop. I do not care about how suspects are feeling, but it's everything when you're trying to get someone. Focus his brain. Yeah, let's away let's from talk the about baby. the thing that's valuable to him. Yeah. You're my new valuable thing. Because that's Don't your tool. Don't think about the baby. The more value you put on that baby, the more he has you, right? Yeah, because leverage. now he's got that over you. That's the leverage point. You're like, don't worry about the baby. How are you doing today? How? And so we don't think like that because we, our moral code is like, I'd take a bullet for my son and I'd put a bullet in someone for my son. And I think you're the same exact way. And I think all of us are, right? I mean, we wouldn't think twice about it. But that guy, he'd use his kid as a meat shield. And I don't think a lot of us can even fathom what that's like. Yeah, you get in trouble when you're a decision maker and you put your morals and values on the suspect and, and, and assume that they share that with you because they do not and logically we know that's not true mm -hmm. logically we know people do horrible stuff right because we've been there we've seen it but it's very easy to get emotionally hijacked and not want to accept the fact that that baby say in this scenario holds no value to the person that's holding them at all correct and so that's a great that's but a great they're they're probably point. a raging narcissist and all, and all they love to talk about is how the world has screwed them over. So yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah. Maybe you'll get on my, on my page if I talk to you about that. And then and you so can start working, working it. That's the science that not everybody sees, right? Even seasoned negotiators that I was like, that's what I saw. And they just had never even thought of it that way.
but it is, it is, it's human nature. It's what we would default to. I would do anything for my child. He's the same, right? But he's not. That's why you're there. It's different, right? That's why why you're the cop and they're the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you're there. That's a great example. So we talked a little bit about learning each other's perspective. Uh, I would see value in attending each other's training, not just twice a year. Yeah. Um, for friction points, um, what are your thoughts on, uh, so average, and again, I'm oversimplifying, so no one be offended. Or be offended. It's 2023. Come on. Yeah, Everybody can, gets to be offended. You can be offended. Yeah. Just don't tell me about it's it. It's just not our problem. So uh, <laughs> you want to reduce friction. And one of the ways that you can do that is by training. Uh, an average h and training would have a scenario. Mm-hmm. You would pick your primary, secondary negotiators. You might go, you know, on a training day, you might have Intel people if it was all scenario based. Right. And then you would have administrators that they would have to call and, and get the information. Like normally you would run that at NCIC and do all your records checks. You might do that. You might simulate right. it. Right. But you would have a chronological training day where the negotiator's goal is to identify the traps and triggers, the goal and you go about if they do it right, the the most peaceful resolution possible, right? And and other people are listening, and then you debrief it, and you run a couple scenarios in a day. Is that about average? Yeah, yeah. in between like the massages yeah, and the pizza ovens, right? You can't forget about that stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? The yeah. Nespresso machine that you made us buy, yeah, the Nespresso <laughs> machine, <laughs> and uh, so all those things, right? Right. So, uh, but one of the friction points is the communication lanes. After that. So to me, that part's pretty smooth. They practice that on their own all the time. Right. How does that information translate into the command post, translate to the commander, translate to the mission leader or the person running the radio, and then get distributed out to the troops? And then the information they have get distributed back to the negotiator, which is where I feel it breaks down a lot. And it really breaks down when the average boots on the ground tactical operator doesn't know what H&T even needs to know. So there's not a SOP of, Hey, when we get there, we need, they need this information. Now we know everyone needs to know where they are, what they're looking at, what they have, where the suspect is, where victim hostage captives are Mm -hmm. lighting entrance, ingress, egress. Like everybody needs to know that's basic cop stuff that everybody covers. Right. But there needs to be that communication practice. That's smooth where you may be picking up on uh, this. This guy keeps referring to this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. Can anybody get eyes on that to tell me what it is? Right. Or, do you want me to tell him not? Do you want me to make sure he doesn't go to this side of the house? Or do you want to make sure he stays on this side of the house? Or how can I get him to that side of the house? And it may be as simple as, hey, if we can get him on the second story to go to the two side, and he's on the four side, and we know the family is below him on the four side, we need to create distance. I'm going to say, go to this window. I'm standing out front. Now I'm going to have somebody wave in. So he can look out the window and see, hey, this is me. Sure. Now I know where he is and he's separate while we engage rescuing somebody. That's a very basic elementary example. Right. But how do we practice? That's a what's called a tightly coupled plan. 
Any yeah. one thing can send that plan into complete, complete chaos. Yeah. So what are, how, do, how, how can we practice that without 30 plus people being present? So from, I'll give you another example. So you and I work for the same agency and um, obviously you're much older than me and have moved on to bigger and better things. <laughs> um, but we were both on an incident uh, just to the east of our city. Lots of examples in that. Lots <clears throat> of examples. So what made that successful for our department because we were, you know, kind of babysitting for another department. But what made it successful was that we had you working as a liaison, right? You stayed in the command post and basically ran the radio, which made it easy for H&T to know what SWAT was doing and what SWAT was seeing. And in turn, we were able to put out to SWAT members, we're on the phone. Uh, he's saying this. He's saying that he's admitted to murders, right? Things of those nature that they need out in the, in the field that now we're dealing with somebody who has the propensity for murder, right? That's a big deal. So that system worked great for us. And I think, I think the addition of a tactical dispatch team is just going to make that better, but the practice is not there yet. We are, for as few times that we work to, you know, train together, we're years away from it being as smooth as it was. So at this point, I still prefer having a SWAT sergeant in the command post to do that relaying, right? To act as that liaison. Because there's times where if I'm in the back of the bus negotiating, I don't even have communication with the front of the bus because I got that door shut and I... You know, no one walks in while I'm on the phone. No one does. And so I need someone that's out there listening to me to know what I'm doing and then give that information to a SWAT sergeant or the SWAT sergeant knows what I'm doing. And vice versa. Exactly. And vice versa. And when so that, that's what you, that's what I need. I, or that's what I think is imperative is that you've got someone in there that knows what both sides are doing and they're keeping both sides informed. And I think tactical dispatch will get there. I don't think it's it's terribly far away, but it, it's it it is not there today, and and that's not an uncommon problem because it's hard to get dispatchers to training. It's hard to get them the training with the people they work with. They right. know how to dispatch. That's not the issue. Right. the The issue is that's another layer that can add and time and distance to the transfer of information. And they need to know what I need, yeah. and in turn, they need to know what SWAT needs. It's a Awful job, and I want no part of it. <laughs> I give credit where credit's due. You understand? <clears throat> and when they do it well, it's uh, it's so invaluable. It, smooths it, out. it is insanely good. It smooths it out. So if you can get that together, I mean, but again, we're talking about collateral teams here, right? I mean, I don't even know that there's even one full time HNT team in the state. Maybe one. Um, I know that there's been full time HNT members, like a person or two, but never like a whole team that just does that. Yeah. That I know about. Yeah. And so when you, when you don't, you know, when we're talking about collateral assignments, now you're talking about taking people out of patrol, right? And I don't know if there's any agencies that don't have a patrol shortage right now. I mean, maybe there is, but I mean, I haven't talked to them. 
everybody's short. And so like, you want to take, well, add our two teams together. We'll call it 16 each, 32 people. Some of them on overtime, but a bunch of them were supposed to be working a day. It, you're not going to get a command staff that buys off on that. <laughs> Backfilling with dispatchers. Yeah. Then I'm taking dispatchers plus people out of records and techs off the street for all that. Yeah. It's, like, it's rare to pull off twice a year. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. My, I mean, my agency yeah. doesn't, right? We do yeah. once. We get yeah. one. And if we're lucky. Yeah. And it can get canceled when yeah. there's a fire. Yeah. Maybe there's riot, a fire. Maybe yeah, anything. Any number of things is going to. Yeah. I mean, that's going to go first, right? They're not going to, they're not going to bump something else. They're not going to bump AOT for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So advanced officer training stuff. So going back to the takeaways. So uh, friction points. Let's reduce friction. Uh, one of the biggest friction points for all teams on both sides of the house are uh, the beginning and the end. So the the people arriving, all the chaos of information coming in, turning it into intel, who's in charge, what we're doing. And one of the frustrating things uh, for me was how uh, long or what I perceived as a sense, uh, lack of sense of urgency in getting the command post set up and ready to rock. Now, that's not something that you need the entire SWAT team to be there to do to make sure it works, but it's something that has to get done quick so that we can, we can go on. So, uh, my experience, which was limited, um, we decided to take our team to a undisclosed location. They'd never been to with role players they hadn't seen and, uh, practice really short scenarios repeatedly throughout the day to just spin it up, deploy, and then spin it down. And the goal was to get H&T used to deploying faster because there were training scars of just, hey, our training day, we take our time. Um, and then to get SWAT better at deploying faster because we're a customer service organization. And if we make it hard to people to work with us, they won't work with us. And if we take forever, um, it's, it's not necessary. So having your bag staged, getting everybody ready, all those kind of sense of urgency, especially if you don't get a lot of emergency calls, you get more search warrant work. Yeah. So we did this scenario. <clears throat> At the same time, we introduced uh, a couple of concepts that shouldn't have been foreign to us that were. That is uh, the mission leader or the commander or whoever's in charge announcing that they are the incident commander and declaring what the mission is. So in this case, we had introduced the concept of uh, a hostage uh, being taken by a solo hostage taker in a rural area. And we set up snipers deploy. They call in the perimeter team, containment setting up. And uh, I get on the radio and I say, this is who I am. I am in charge. The mission is to separate the hostage from the suspect uh, versus just rescuing. We had gone over that concept, <clears throat> which was new to most of us. And uh, in the middle of that, uh, someone identifies that the suspect ran to the fourth side or the opposite side of the house of where the hostage was. And so uh, without asking, a member of the team, two members of the team, uh, rescued the hostage through a window and declared uh, that they had the hostage, which is success because now we just have a barricade. Now we can we can slow things down. And in the command post, they were still setting up. They were drawing who was where, uh, working through the radio traffic, all those kind of things. 
And uh, a couple of people were upset because uh, they they didn't like that. We never even had a chance to establish contact with the suspect yet. But we had to remember that we're mission focused, and the mission was to separate the victim from the hostage. So uh, that was the introduction. Um, so we canceled the scenario, and we packed it all up. We moved a. I don't even know if we moved 10 or 15 feet or didn't. And then we reset up again and we redeployed SWAT and they unpacked all their bags again and they unpacked all their stuff in the C and T and the, in the command post again, we unpacked everything and unraveled a different scenario. We introduced the concept again and again and again that day and SWAT got faster and smoother at deploying. There was less radio traffic. There was more discipline Command posts got really good at setting up the things they needed right away. So they, they basically sequencing became more efficient. People got more comfortable with their jobs. We switched people's jobs around and we ran these little mini scenarios, which they did do some negotiating. It wasn't just SWAT day and it wasn't just H&T day. <clears throat> but uh, I found a lot of value in that because it, reduce those friction points ahead of time while we introduced, you know, some, some newer, unfortunately new concepts to us just for lack of training, not, not from lack of caring. Um, what are some other things that, that you found helpful that people can take away and go, you know, I don't get a lot of time on my collateral team to train, but I do want to integrate better. Well, for, that's a that that scenario is a great example as somebody who was sitting in the command post, uh, getting ready to negotiate. I was pretty early on in my ne- negotiation career. It was probably within my first two years, and it it never made sense to me why we were like the the drag, right? Why was it taking so long for us to set up? It made no sense to me, and so. Um, what it was, was that you have to create a culture of exigency almost, but exigency with perfection, I dare say. So it's not just good to practice, but you have to, perfect practice makes perfection, not practice, right? Practice uh, doesn't make perfect. The perfect, triple per- P. Perfect practice makes perfect. You did good. And you so, made it like 40 minutes before we got to the triple P. So, but my point is, is that if you're not training to be exigent or you're not training to have a sense of um, urgency about your movements in all aspects, then you will become complacent and you will just fumble your way through, in my opinion. It's training scars. It is. You're creating training and so, scars. And exactly. And so what it took was that training was a huge wake-up call for a bunch of people who had become lackadaisical on the team, been on the team for years, just go to training, and then they don't, you know, they don't focus on the technical side, the part where you're actually setting up HNT equipment to the point where now I started integrating. So they'd be like, okay, you're handing training this month. Great. We're going to set up this stuff and take it back down until we want to throw up because I can't have, I can't be embarrassed like this, right? I can't be getting called onto the carpet by my peers as to why you're so slow is, is, it sucks, right? Yeah, it sucks for anybody. And do it in the dark. 
Yeah. Do it in the rain. Exactly. Do it under duress. All of that do stuff. Do it in the dirt. Right. Don't do it during the day in the back lot. Right. Where everybody's standing around 75 degrees. It's nice. It's lovely same, out. Same with SWAT. I mean, yeah. the same principles apply. Right. And so you, you have to do all of that and you have to... It, it comes from leadership, right? It comes from somebody taking the reins going, no, this is how we're going to operate moving forward because what we've been doing isn't working. And then you need to create buy-in, right? Why is it important? And then get your people to follow, which is basic leadership, I think, 101, right? I mean, at the end of the day. But you got to be, you got to be, yeah, you got to have, you got to be invested. Well, you and care. that's the thing. You, and you, if you don't care, your people aren't going to care. And they're going to know you don't care. So if you do... And and you want to be you want to be looked at as a as a high performing team, especially on my side. I can't speak to the SWAT side, but on our side of the board, you have to do everything right, and you have to do it in a very quick manner because SWAT needs to know what you know, and they need you. If they need you on the phone right now, you need to get on the phone right now. And I think um, a creation of these negotiation apps that we've employed, um, they are, they're invaluable because we can now make SWAT commanders part of our, they can listen in our, on our negotiation if they take the time and sign up, which is another part of it is like the two sides need to be bought into what the other does. And if they don't, then we're going to continue down the same road because historically the two sides have not bought into what each other does. They're like, okay, SWAT just wants to go shoot everybody. And then they, you know, and then the SWAT side is, you know, they're just in there trying diplomacy and diplomacy doesn't work with crazy people. Well, you're absolutely right until it does. And I've made it work with crazy people lots of times. And, and so, so has everybody in our profession. But, <clears throat> you know, but again, every, every day on a regular call. Right, exactly. And, you know, you can get people to do what you want to do a lot of times without physical force. However, we all know that physical force is a necessary part of the job. Um, so I just, to me, it's, it's leadership working together to create buy-in for both sides. That's, that's my, that's my takeaway from that and how, you know, how we can move forward with a quicker manner. Because honestly, if the SWAT guys were listening into my negotiations, even the ones that are out on the perimeter, cause you can listen with a Bluetooth earpiece they're going to know more than, than they've ever known. That's, that's the thing is that they're going to know more than they've ever known while doing a SWAT operation. They're going to hear more than they've ever heard. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not because you can get information overload. But, but the opportunity to train and do that ahead of time uh, and know It is works great. to try it. And right? it reduces, At least you've got the opportunity to try it now. And it reduces the telephone game of communication right. because you tell me something i tell it to somebody they get on the radio they tell it over the radio then and they acknowledge wrong. it yeah that takes time which affects windows of opportunity right. and it gets watered down or is different yeah so i, I don't disagree with that <clears throat> there's just a balance to that and you need to practice it right yeah. i mean and really the bottom line thing. is whichever way you do practice yep and so the other thing i wanted to talk to you about just as a takeaway for folks listening is Reduce that friction. Have a couple SWAT guys show up to command post training day and pretend to be everybody that talks on the radio. Yeah. So 
uh, H&T is really good at developing chronological scenarios that their negotiators have to go through to find the traps and triggers and do all that. <clears throat> that part is dialed. They don't get to practice. They don't get to practice. He passed out. I'm just going to finish the podcast. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Hold on. Hold on. Um, they don't get to practice communicating that to the, say, lieutenant. Or the commander or out to the troops and they don't get to practice the communication from the troops coming back to them. And so it's very easy and less resource dependent to have a couple role players with radios setting up containment, setting up Sierra sniper units, setting up where the suspect is over the radio with a script, Mm -hmm. having the people in the command post acknowledge it. Having people make decisions so they get used to, especially if you have a new group of say support people or HNT people mm-hmm. to great demo. Right. The other thing I would add would be that's a great way to train your commander. Hey, we're doing this. Come see what it looks and feels like. Mm-hmm. Just come spend a couple hours with us. We're going to show you what it looks like. And so just a couple ways to be creative, leverage, you know, the people you have, not every SWAT guy is going to be good at that pretending with two people and but other SWAT guys are going to be really good at it. So you right. have, you, you know, you still have to have that buy-in and then, uh, go to con, go to con, go to the conference, listen to the debriefs, go, go to H and T team leader school. Yeah. I didn't get to go to H and T team leader school until I was a commander and right. I learned so much. I think it's a one day class. Maybe two. Yeah, I think it's two. I think it's a two-day class. Depends on who teaches it. Yeah, yeah. and and I I literally was learning stuff that I knew we were. I didn't know we were supposed to do that we could have been doing the whole time. Yeah, and I'll I'll give you an example, and I I share this because it's embarrassing, and I and I know I'm not alone. So I'm listening to these guys talk about all the stuff a team leader does with H and T, and I realize suddenly that I still do not let Intel drive the mission. I realize that I get these Intel packets and the little team leader checklist and all that, but I'm getting them after I've already made the plan in an emergency response. Now, Intel is supposed to drive your tactics. And instead, I'm just using Intel to prop up my tactics. And there is a huge difference. So I had to get my Intel packets done fast because that really leads my mission planning. And even though I have that informally, if something bad happens before we continue building that Intel packet, and I don't have it as a commander, then what am I basing my decisions on? Assumptions. And so it's a very small nuance, but I had to get one of my H&T sergeants to get his stuff done fast. And it was thorough, great investigator, not good at chaos. And so I'm like, hey, man, I need that now. I know it's not done, but I need, like, once we arrive, I need to make decisions on what is this going to be. Is this, right. this going to be a surround and call out? Are we going to breach and delay on this thing? Are we going to take away some terrain from this guy? Like, how, mm-hmm. how aggressive do I need to be to bring some calm in this thing so we can slow it down? Right. <clears throat> and that comes from, from well, in our case, that the agency we worked at is, you know, the H and T guys will, or team will show up and start those Intel packets early 
if they get the call early enough. And then recognizing that Intel doesn't stop at any point, but at some point when a commander goes, okay, I need the Intel, you give them everything you have. Say, this is what I have now, right now at 1500 <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to go back and keep going and I'll give you anything else pertinent that comes up, but this is what you have at the beginning of your mission, right? So that you have the up-to-date intel by the people who are experts at getting it. So, um, and and that's a that's a huge takeaway from that school because a lot of people don't recognize that that's that does drive our our mission. And that right? one-page checklist, man. I I text them like, hey, you guys, I've never seen this before. Yeah. I know all you guys have seen it. How come I don't see it? And they're and like, well, we, no, no commander's ever asked for it. And I'm like, okay, man, well, this exactly. is great. This is all I need. Just fill this one form out. Right. That gets me started. But our, and ours is like the expanded version of that, right? So we've, we've taken that and broken it even further down into, you know, associates across the county, if, if I can. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, those getting you that information at the time that you need it. We just, we had a whole conversation about this on a call out the other day where, you know, we had all this Intel going into the briefing and no, had ever asked it f- us for it before, you know, they never wanted it. And so when we take, you know, like, okay, what Intel did you get? And we, we took up half the briefing and they were like, Oh no, we didn't know any of this. Well, I mean, I didn't know you wanted it. Intel drives the tactics. Right. So that's our justification, right? And that's how we control the momentum, how fast and slow we go, what our approach is going to be. And uh, I know it sounds dumb and everyone listening is like, yeah, totally it does. But I want you to really think back. Did Intel really drive your tactic or did you just use Intel to support what you were doing eventually? And and that starts with training, right? And that starts with... um, practicing that hey give me the initial tasty here's what i got here's the main things you need to know here's the want right law enforcement intervention okay we're here here's the the swat matrix okay we've met the threshold for using swat and the tactical teams here's the most likely thing this person's going to do here's the worst thing that they could do and it's based on his past history and what we know of the current crisis in his past history. Now I can at least start somewhere and justify my actions rather than saying, well, this is how we always do it. We always, we always set containment up and do long rifle react. We always go dynamic. Why why do you always go dynamic? Or why do you always go breach and hold? Well, counselor. Breach and delay. Right. (laughs) And then it's, well, counselor, that's the way we've always done it. (laughs) Yeah. Your honor. Well, officer, that's why you're going to be paying. So, um, and the other thing is to, is to remember, and, and you run into this, um, with a lot of like scholars and that kind of thing. You can't, the Intel doesn't, the Intel doesn't bend, Right. We give you intel based on facts that are in place, right? Now, those facts may change, but they you can't change facts to justify tactics. You have to change tactics based on fact. And we right? have and both that's, suffered. We've all suffered that. <laughs> and when you do it opposite, you know, it's a it's like they say in science, you can't change data to to fit your theory. You have to change your theory based on the data. And that's 
that's where I think some people tend to fail. And, I, and I'd like to think that we're all moving forward from that. And I think we are. I really do think that law enforcement in general, and especially with these specialty teams, are at a place that is so far advanced from where they have been, so far advanced from where they have been in the past, that um, they're, they're really at their best at this moment. And recognizing that you're the best that you are at this moment should not be as good as you are next year, right? You should still, I like, so I coach football and I tell my kids every day, we're better than we were yesterday, but we're not as good as we're going to be tomorrow. And that's really how we have to look at it from this standpoint as well. It's like, we are the best possible H and T SWAT team that we can be right now. And tomorrow we should be better on yeah. some level. You don't, there are no, no rest days. No real rest days. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the conversation. Hopefully you uh, you found some value in this listening. And uh, you may not care about H&T, but, you know, depending upon where you are in your career and what rank you are and position you are on whatever team you're on, but everybody needs a version of this. And uh, just like we talk about tracking the value. So remember, your executives are investing in the agency by allowing you to train as an H&T or SWAT person on the TAC team. That's an investment to them. You need to prove to them that that investment is worth it. That's how you get better training equipment and more training days and more people. And, and one of the ways we talk in SWAT of doing that is, is we document what we call tactical assist. These are where SWAT officers go out and help patrol calls and oftentimes have the expertise that prevents these calls from getting out of hand or even become a call out at all. Right. And, and at first you're like, well, why would I knock us out of SWAT business? But that's not the role. Right. And so it's the same for H and T H and T people work throughout your organization on a collateral team and provide invaluable services. When we have crisis that might not even be a, a tactical call, like a jumper, a suicidal jumper, uh, somebody in crisis, a barricade. And if you're on duty and you have that skill set that your executive has sent you to these schools and let you train, then respond and track that so that your sergeant, your commander can say, hey, we know we had this many call outs and we use this many, you know, but we know this much of the pie, the budget. But here's the other things we did. You know, here's the training we provided to the department on tactical communication. Here's the, here's the other parts that we, the other calls we responded to and use that expertise you, you invested in us to handle these other incidents at lower levels. And, and it's not nothing, it doesn't have to be hard, but it's nothing anyone's passionate. No one's passionate about doing paperwork, but that's how you get more things for your team and you prove that value. So just wanted to end with another you know, what I hope is a good takeaway that applies to H&T um, and applies to SWAT. Like, integrate, have those conversations, understand each other's perspective. And if you're not currently training and you have that adversarial or either-or culture, it, it doesn't matter what rank you are. You got to fix that because we're in this together. And if we don't use these tools correctly, you're going to end up having to defend why you did something that's less than best practice. And, and why why didn't intel drive your tactic right very cool well okay. thanks man i appreciate it yeah if uh if anybody uh wants to contact me um 
I assume you can put my contact information on blast. Okay. Feel yeah. free to do that. All right. Uh, unless you want me to say it right now, which I'm more than happy to do. Um, but if you, if you're out there and you're listening, you think that your HT team could value from some of my perspective, then by all means have them reach out to me and, uh, I'll make sure that Marcus puts up yeah, my information on there, on your website and on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. So whatever, if, if something I've said is some parts your of interest, it, some parts of it, you don't want to so, read sometimes a little too much. Um, but if there's anything that I've said here that makes people want to contact me and get more perspective, I'm more than happy to help out anyone I can. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. And, uh, thanks for having we were, me. While so, we were talking, you ended up with an H and T call out. So yeah. So we'll, I get to go, uh, <laughs> I get to go in. Good Hooray. luck. I'll, uh, I'll look for the news blurb on TV. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.